Hi, I'm Katya. And I'm Rin. And we're here at the Commonwealth Center for Holistic Herbalism in Boston, Massachusetts. And on the internet everywhere, thanks to the power of the podcast. Woohoo! And we really are everywhere out there in the world. <laughs> this week we are. It turns out, yeah. We've, uh, we've got listeners all over the place. Well, exciting. we have listeners all over the place every week, but this place is particularly exciting because we are uh, on both sides of the ocean today. Yes. Yes. We're in a superposition where we're in both of them at the same time. No. Okay. Here's what's going on. We have for you this week an interview with Nicole Rose of Solidarity Apothecary over in the UK. And we spoke with her about, uh, about her work with Solidarity Apothecary. And also with her uh, newly finished book, mm-hmm. The Prisoner's Herbal. Yeah, we're really, really excited about the work that she's doing to support incarcerated people um, and to bring plants into their lives. And it's such a natural um, collaboration with, with our um, Herbalism for Incarcerated People project. And so we are really, really excited to team up with her, and we're so excited to help promote her book also. Yeah, so we had a really good chat, and uh, without further ado, let's go right to it. Yeah. Well, I'm so excited to introduce Nicole Rose, who is working at Solidarity Apothecary in the UK. And Nicole, why don't I let you tell us about um, Solidarity Apothecary and the work that you're doing there? Hey, thanks for having me. Um, Yeah, I live in the southwest of England and I have this project called the Solidarity Apothecary, which is about uh, making medicine for people affected by state violence. So that means like um, frontline organizers who are kind of involved in different like social and environmental campaigns who are kind of um, experiencing like, you know, being arrested or imprisoned or going through like long stressful court cases. Um, as well as like prisoner families and people kind of affected by the prison system. Um, And it's like a super small scale thing. Like I'm training to be a herbalist at the moment. I've been kind of self-educating the last 10 years, um, finally bit the bullet and like have sort of embraced like clinical training now. Um, So I mostly, yeah, make things where I live and post them out to people and distribute them via kind of different networks that I'm involved in. Um, Yeah. That's, that's basically it. And I recently um, published this book, which we're going to talk about. Um, but for me, like, yeah, my, I guess my passion is bringing together these existing uh, parts of my life, which are like, have been completely dominated by the prison system for 15 years, as well as like my passion for herbalism. That's so cool. Um, well, I guess parts of it are cool. The, the dominated <laughs> by the prison system part may be less cool. Not so cool. Not so <laughs> yeah, cool. Yeah. yeah. But being able to find something to do about it and um, work together with others to move that direction, that's great. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So you just finished your first book and um, I am so excited about it. I've seen a preview copy and I'm really, really thrilled that, that – um, your book, The Prisoner's Herbal, is going to be out there in the world, something that can help people who are incarcerated. And also, I think it's going to be really helpful for all people, actually, um, not just to um, see, like, hey, here are herbal things you can do when you don't have a lot of resources, but also in your book, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of information between the lines about what it's like to be living in a prison 
and I was really, I was really moved by reading a lot of it. Thanks. And I just want to say before we get stuck in as well, like, thank you so much for all your help, like legendary levels of support of just like, editing my work and like giving me feedback and improving sections. And um, it's super great that there's also this opportunity for prisoners to learn from you and access like the book wouldn't be the same without that next step available. So yeah, but I really appreciate your time on that because I know you and other kind of medical herbalists in the UK like worked super hard um, editing my work, including all my typos. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I want to make sure that um, when we wrap up the interview, we will talk about that next step um, that we have available for further education for incarcerated people who want to learn more about herbalism. So um, if you are interested in that, stay tuned. But first we really wanna kind of dig into this book and also talk a little bit about why we as herbalists, um, like why are we caring so much about getting herbs to incarcerated people? And of course, partially because people are people and so many people are affected by incarcerate affected by incarceration either because they themselves are incarcerated or because they they know and love someone who's incarcerated and and even a person who um you know who did something wrong and is doing their time they still are a person who deserves quality health care and deserves respect and and human dignity um so obviously that's one reason, um, but uh, I really want to kind of dig in to specifically why herbalism matters so much in prisons. And I think that um, most people just sort of, and even in conversations that I was having leading up to our interview, um, I think one of the most common thoughts that people had was, well, wait, can't people, isn't there just a doctor in the prison? Isn't there a whole hospital or a like, infirmary in the prison that will take care of anything that goes wrong for the prisoner's health. Um, and I think it's really not like that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, like in terms of prisons in the UK, at least like they all for sure have doctors and nurses working there. Um, but the kind of institutional neglect is just like horrifying, right? Like I could fill this whole interview with stories uh, from friends and people I know who've experienced like intense medical neglect in the prison system um and yeah shall i shall i go into that more is that yeah i'd love to hear some of your stories um yeah so i guess like it's worth emphasizing when you talk about healthcare and prisons that there's like so many different layers so obviously like folks coming inside are more likely to already have existing health issues right like chronic health issues mm. um due to like all the factors that make up the prison system like um like racism and sexism and poverty and trauma and mental health issues um so you've already got this kind of population of people who are like super oppressed super vulnerable that are then in an environment with limited access to healthcare. um and then you also have prisoners whose health kind of decline over time due to the length of imprisonment um so yeah, like, I guess I'm always nervous talking about her because it's so emotional for me, but my best friend, Sam in prison, um, who's a, a lifer, like she's done a long time. She's done uh, 12 years now, but after nine years inside, she basically developed cancer mm. and we spent more than two and a half years fighting for her to get 
to get surgery and to get treatment and the private prison so like the for-profit prison that she was in um actually failed to take her to more than nine appointments where the national health service in the uk had assembled like a whole theater team to operate on her and you know we're about to launch like a big uh, lawsuit against them in france because they're a french company sodexo but um yeah like i think i'm basically writing this book on the tail end of those few years and thankfully she had surgery this march and she hasn't got the all clear because obviously you know cancer's complicated and she's gonna yeah. have to collapse yeah. the rest of her life but for now like the doctor told me like she was four millimeters away from you know death basically so yeah like that's obviously an extreme example but you know even just on a minor level right like you're on your wing someone has period pains like you know you can go and see the triage nurse but you might have to wait three weeks to see a doctor right wow so it's like and we have this i don't mean to swear but like we have this thing in prison called the fuck it bucket which is like the application box so in the uk like everything that you need you have to write a written application for which is already a huge barrier for loads of people in prison that can't read or write so you fill it in there like oh, i want to see a doctor and you put it in the box and then it's meant to come back to you with an appointment time but it just like disappears and no one knows where it goes which is why we call it the fuck it bucket <laughs> um, so yeah so like you have all these issues right like when i was inside um i i actually had like quite an extreme food allergy which you know my sort of digestive health issues began in prison after the kind of years of of repression of the campaign that i was involved in and um yeah, like I was just locked in this cell and my like face was swelling and like my throat was swelling, you know, and you have this buzzer and when you're locked in, you go press the buzzer and you, I was literally praying that that someone would come and I told them like, hey, and luckily I was having this reaction like on a, on the like lunchtime bang up, which is like this hour in between like um, the morning and the afternoon when they kind of lock up, I guess, so that there's, the officers can have their lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, luckily it was then and not in the middle of the night, right? Because then you're yeah. like for hours. Um, and yeah, like one one woman uh, who I knew in prison, she actually had a miscarriage in her cell and she rang the buzzer and no one came. Like they didn't have enough staff to unlock her. So she was left there for like 10 hours overnight with this like, you know, fetus in her room. And these are just like literally a couple of examples, but the levels of neglect of people not getting to appointments people being ignored by doctors um having dehumanizing interactions with healthcare staff like because you know like the the staff working there like they hate it they don't want to be working there you know the pay is terrible the conditions are terrible they're overworked they're dealing with all these people with complex health issues and so i guess that attitude shift right and they're interacting with you as if you're like scum on earth so you're not necessarily getting the sort of healthcare that you need um yeah and I feel like another another angle of it is that like a lot of folks in prison like in the UK like a lot of people that have left care end up in the prison system and I guess they haven't had the same level of like parenting so stuff that's like very obvious to a lot of us isn't known like my friend Sam had constipation for years I was just like babe like you need to eat breakfast (laughs) You know, like she started eating breakfast and eating some fruit and then she was like, oh, hey, look, like this thing I've struggled with for like 10 years is like better. And I feel like that basic healthcare knowledge is like sometimes not there. Um, So that was part of 
writing the book was that people could kind of access some of that stuff like easily. Yeah. I think that you've touched, you've sort of touched on the issue of food several times. And I think that that, um, that also really is a, a very important thread to follow um, all the way from like a person's childhood through to incarceration because, um, you know, we have so many studies that talk about nutrition and how that impacts mental health, how that impacts emotional health, um, and how nutrition even impacts a person's incarceration or their experience of incarceration once they get there. I remembering one particular study, which actually I think was done in the UK because I, I'm pretty sure I remember it from the British Medical Journal um, or the Journal of Medicine. Uh, wh whichever the the no BMJ British British yeah, Medical yeah, Journal yeah um, where all they did was give vitamins to to prisoners and the group that got vitamins um, had like a drastically lower write ups and just much much less like a much easier experience during that time than the group that didn't get the vitamins mm -hmm. and I think that this is where we really need to be looking. Um, as communities, as societies, at how important nutrition is and how people who are impoverished don't have access to food. Don't, they may have access to calories, but that's not the same as having access to nutrition. And, and that if, as a society, we want people to thrive, we want our society to be like harmonious, whatever utopian kind of description we want, that that a fundamental thing that needs to happen is that people do need to have access to, to nutritious food. Um, and this is one way that as herbalists, we can um, be of assistance in a prison because uh, a lot of times our, our plants are ways that we can close the gap. And especially where um, the quality of food in prisons is very poor and getting fresh vegetables is very difficult um that that you know the wild plants that might grow are a, at least a little easier way of getting some nutrition or like some tea might be a way to at least supplement with some extra vitamins especially if we can get things like nettle going um then that's really exciting yeah i mean that's basically like how i survived in prison like i mean i did just i got three and a half years but in the uk you do kind of half inside and half out with like strict controls um <clears throat> but yeah my my diet was like you know it was like pasta and chips like at the same time that's the meal with like no vegetable and um when i came out i got blood tests done and i was actually like really severely anemic and, you know, I was also vegan in prison. So it's like this other layer of like um, challenge, like for people in prison, if you've got uh, a kind of dietary choice like that. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, like in prison, I used to, used to harvest like chickweed and nettles and dandelion. And like, you know, I used to grow rocket. So I had a job, I got a job eventually in the prison gardens. And um, we kind of fought pretty hard to, to let them, to let, to ask them to let us grow food so we like actually developed a kind of vegetable garden in the main courtyard so that was like 
the first time that I could sow like plants like rocket, you know, and and then like the rocket went to seed and stuff and I like saved that seed and like so like sowed it in the courtyard near my wing and it like just kind of spread around the prison. Um <laughs> but yeah, like I used to just like we weren't allowed to take plants into the wings with us, so I would just be like stuffing my bra and my underwear <laughs> with like dandelion <laughs> and stuff. Um so that you I can share it with other people. Sorry? So that you could share it with other people. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, but yeah, like, I think, like, for me, being able to support people to survive that system in whatever way you can is like a kind of revolutionary thing. And that's why, like, even if it's just the case of someone being able to access more vitamins because they've harvested some wild plants, like, that's super excited for me, right? Because it's part of resisting is like staying alive in there because you know I've lost too many people in prison that I've loved who've died and yeah I feel like it's pretty powerful like stuff that we take for granted out here like oh foraging you know it's all like cutesy and like kind of but actually in there it's like really survival right like it's the only green thing you're gonna see like for months so yeah yeah I think that is um I think that also is some a, a thought that I'd like people to spend a little time meditating on that um, as we as herbalists, you know, we, we choose our favorite baskets and we, we love those sort of images of like a basket that's filled with really beautiful plants and, you know, you scroll through your Instagram feed and, and especially this time of year, it's like there's all those kinds of photographs and I think about all the things that herbalists love right like that and like their favorite mug that maybe some artisan potter made and and you know different sorts of things um we have this blue teapot that we post on social media kind of a lot um just because it's our favorite teapot and literally anytime that we post about it um we get like 10 million comments where did you get that teapot and, <laughs> and it's sort of ridiculous but but so when we think about herbalism, we think those things. And maybe we're thinking about, um, you know, community resilience if there was a shortage or something. But we're not usually really thinking about the experience that you lived and that literally millions of people are living, which is that they're not going to see anything green. Mm -hmm. And maybe they get an hour outside maybe they're lucky enough to work in the garden crew and maybe they get to stuff a couple weeds in their mouth but this isn't like the level of survival that that people who are incarcerated are going through is sort of almost like a dystopian future movie if you think about it and yeah. and the the your relationship with plants in that sort of a relation in that sort of a situation really can come down to life and death mm -hmm. and i feel like the reason like you're saying like we don't think about it is because like humans are like literally disappeared right into these mm -hmm. buildings that we can't see into that you know are often placed like right out in the countryside or wherever so it's like there's a reason we don't think about it and that's because it's like people have yeah been dis like disappeared somewhere um but yeah like i think for me with the yeah like not seeing yeah just things like not seeing a tree for like two you know and it was only two years which is which is a long time but i think because i have so 
many friends that have done so much longer. It never feels like a long time. But I don't want to like minimize my own experiences, obviously. But yeah, like herbalism and gel, it's it's really about that relationship because if you think of people that are in prison like for sure you make amazing friends in jail and there's like definitely solidarity between people but ultimately like you are divorced from like the land like the environment that you have a relationship you're divorced from like your partner your children like your family um different forms of community culture so i feel like in there like plants they're literally the only things that are like alive right around you other than the people and unfortunately the people around you don't often feel very alive you know people are often highly medicated or so traumatized that they're not present and so yeah connecting with plants in that plants in prison it's like it really breaks that isolation like for me i really found that certain relationships with plants like gave me so much strength and comfort and yeah like you know like I slept with a dandelion root under my pillow for like 18 months or something and it was yeah like I can't explain like how much that gave me emotionally you know there wasn't that much dandelion for me to harvest and have tea every day but there was like enough for me to have it close to me that was like okay you've got my back you know yeah dandelion is such a such a symbol for resistance and resilience Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah I love it it's such a like I don't know. It's just like such a street plant, isn't it? It's just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. You won't, you won't destroy me. Yeah. yeah. That's what I always think about when I, when I see dandelions growing out of sidewalks or coming up out of a sewer grate or something like this. It's like, yep, you've got this handled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I want to borrow some of that, some of that energy too. I think, I think that's such a, um, a beautiful way to be addressing emotional health too, because that that whole concept of being divorced from everything that you know and everything that you came from, um, that has enormous impacts on mental health. And, you know, like if you think about Maslow's hierarchy of needs, you know, that where they were looking from a social context at, in order for a human to be healthy, there are certain things that they need. And he was sort of ordering them in the order of like, well, this is the number one first thing that you need or you'll die. And here's the number one second thing. And the need to belong to like have your community is very, very high, but but that's not just like, okay, well now you have a community in prison, you have some friends in prison. It's also that we as humans are part, like we are part of the community of the whole earth. We require plants in order to be healthy. We require bugs in order to be healthy, even though some people don't love bugs. And and we have to be part of our environment in order to be healthy. And to look at the mental health impacts that happen for, for incarcerated people and that despair that comes with that divorce from our communities, um, and then to think about that emotional sort of crutch that you had, or, or not even, that's not the word I want, like... I really mean like somebody holding you up or like you said, having your back that, that was provided to you just by having this dandelion root that you, that you had with you. Um, this is another way that we could really be supporting people. If we had more garden availability, if we recognize that gardening is actually therapeutic. And like you were saying, a big part of the reason that, that many people end up incarcerated is because there were underlying issues that weren't being addressed 
um, where, where support was needed and no support was given. And if we could have more plants, not fewer plants, and more gardens, not less gardens, we could really be solving the original problem that, that got people, not all people, but some of the people there. We could be creating health is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, for sure. I think I was nervous with this book that it would like trigger people to want to do gardening projects in prison, even though I think there are some really amazing people doing that work and I do support them like a hundred percent. But like, I also really wanted to kind of make the point in the book that like incarceration itself is violent. Like you can't, sanitize that right like you could be imprisoned in a herb garden <laughs> but you'd still be like, away I mean it's, it sounds pretty nice right but like you'd actually still be away from like all the people you love um and that would be traumatic so I think like yeah like that's yeah but again it's like a whole ecosystem right so like there's some amazing projects for people you know supporting people leaving prison that are like giving people livelihoods who are then you know, growing food and like teaching other people to grow food. Like I taught a course once with um, Pandora Thomas from the Black Permaculture Network. And like she, yeah, has this like amazing, like super holistic project of like supporting, it's kind of, I guess in the US they call it like re-entry, like people coming out of prison and coming back into the community and mm -hmm. folks would like have um, housing and their job was then building more gardens in their like low income communities. Yes. So that, that stuff's like really inspiring to me, but I definitely like, like I included links in the back to, I guess, sort of um, abolitionist groups. And like, I don't want, like, I want people to read the book and to be like, okay, like we still need to fight for like improved healthcare. Like we still need to fight to close prisons down and build alternatives to them and like completely change the justice system, right? Like I feel like I'm hoping that the book will introduce folks in the herbal community to like those ideas like those ideas and those visions and that like beauty of like prison abolition um because I feel for me that they're like super linked um the same way that I want to introduce like prisoners and people affected by imprisonment to plants you know it's kind of like both yeah. both edges meeting yeah yeah you know you were talking about about reintroduction and about people moving from uh, being inside to being outside and, and recovering from their experiences there. And that's some of the work that you've been doing with Solidarity, Solidarity Apothecary. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. Like Can you talk about that a bit? Yeah, for sure. So, unfortunately, more of my work has been supporting people who are, like, about to go in, if that makes sense. But mm -hmm. I've definitely supported people that are recovering, um, including a close friend who... Um, was literally under state control for about 10 years with a few small prison sentences and eventually she got a suspended sentence so she didn't get sent down but her partner got sent down for five years this was for like an animal liberation campaign mm. um, but like the effects of all of that chronic stress gave her kind of like debilitating fatigue and like various other health issues so I've been doing a lot of support for her like really for years like for most of this time like give, giving her little bits and bobs to try and like trying to cook like good meals and stuff um, but the ideal like with the apothecary once I can like build the resources is to actually be able to more like proactively support people leaving prison but I do feel like the first the first step in that is actually recognizing like the harm of imprisonment mm -hmm. like 
and I actually pub I'm publishing another book at the same time which is about kind of overcoming burnout um from this kind of like being involved in social movements and getting like super sick a few years ago and then kind of recovering um and part of that was like actually being able to talk about the emotional impacts of prison and like because in kind of I guess like social movements there's this like slightly macho attitude that you know <laughs> like oh I could do it standing on my head or like all this other shit like that somehow we can just like experience like traumatic event after traumatic event and it's not going to accumulate right and affect us so I feel like the first thing we need to do is to just be like prison harms us like prison harms our families like prison harms our communities and once we're at that stage of recognition that like going to prison for however long is a traumatic experience and that imprisonment itself is like inherently violent then I think we can like start working with like herbalists and healthcare practitioners and stuff um to support people like a friend of mine um Lisa from London she's in Scotland now I'm always heartbroken that she's moved away but like she um she and another herbalist called Rashika uh, organized this women's health project which was for people affected by imprisonment so that included prisons and detention centers and they did like massage and like herbal things and then we had a workshop about prison abolition and it was like yeah it was so nice to have like a sort of holistic project you know that addressed it from different angles and I know the women involved in that who I met like definitely had found it super empowering like not just having having someone like hear them and hear the fact that they've just gone through this violent experience which the newspapers say is like a holiday camp right like they've had someone validate their experience um and when you've had like such dehumanizing interactions with people in authority so whether that's like your social worker or the probation officer or a prison officer to then see a practitioner who's like treating you like a human being like yeah. you cannot underestimate the power of that that like someone interacts with you that like you're a real person with like real feelings and you're not just like a number like that in itself is amazing and I would definitely encourage any herbalists listening that want to work with ex-prisoners that like that is literally the best thing that you can do is just like treat that person like a person because they're not going to have had that right during their time kind of in the belly of the beast yeah I really think um wow there's so many things that were super interesting that you just said that I want to think about but one thing that I that I really want to um put out there is that I think that for people who don't have experience with the prison system and for people who have never known anyone who has had experience with the prison system, that the propaganda around incarceration is really strong. Mm -hmm. That, oh, well, these are bad people who did bad things and we're keeping your community safe by taking them and giving them what they deserve. And I also think that there's a sort of fairy tale that good people, like with quote marks around it, right, um, want to tell themselves and that the propaganda also supports that, well, our prison system is humane, of course, like we feed them and we like, it, like that somehow we don't believe in unjust incarceration or like, um, you know, inhumane punishment and like, well, we don't, at least we don't torture people. And it's not like being in jail in some, insert the name of a country that you believe the prisons are worse in. 
Um, and, um, and like, you know, just in humane punishment and whatever. And I think that it's really important to recognize, and I, I guess I also that the sort of propaganda around, well, if they didn't do anything wrong, then they wouldn't be in jail. And, and to recognize that many people did not do anything wrong and are in jail, but also even a person who legitimately did something wrong, like even a person who literally killed somebody else, like whatever, like the, whatever you would say that is the most valid reason for a person to be punished, that as a society, we also need to look and see what got them there and the privileges that we who consider ourselves to be good people with quoting marks around it have had in our lives um, maybe a family that, that fed us and cared for us and, and made sure that we were well educated or if, even if we had a bad family relationship, maybe a teacher who took an interest in us and made sure that we had the resources that we needed to be successful or, or even fundamentally just food. Um, and when we look at how many people grow up in our system, in our society, without access to really fundamental basic things that human re humans require just to be healthy, and, and we need to recognize that we need to take responsibility that some people aren't having that. And so if, I guess I would say, if you're a person who's thinking, well, if somebody's in jail, they deserve it. Um, that it's important to look at what their childhood might have been like and what access they did or didn't have even just to food um, and and the role even that luck let alone privilege plays in our lives and um, that like how how easily it could have been us if we had had different situations um, and and to to really call on people to think about these issues in compassion and to recognize that the idea of abolishing prisons, maybe when you just say that in one word, um, for some people that might seem shocking or radical, but to recognize that it's not actually radical, it's tremendously compassionate and, and to say, well, wait a minute, when there's a problem, let's come up with the reason that there's a problem and resolve that. Um, that is work that we as herbalists are doing every day. And that if we are doing that for a person who has the privilege to, um, to take the time to, and the money to buy herbs and, and do self-care, then we can do that for all people. I think that's my little soapbox. Well, Nicole, I know you've, you've thought and taught about this kind of um, uh, changing in, in the way people understand and, and think about uh, incarceration and the prison system. So maybe you would share with us a little bit of how you think about that, how you talk about that. Sure. I guess it's worth, um, before diving, it, diving into it more, that I, I like to reframe like, concepts of crime in relationship to harm. So it's kind of like recognizing that there are people in prison that have like harmed people, right? Like who have raped someone or um, abused someone or whatever. Um, so it's like, yeah, but framing it as harm, it's like, okay, how else to, can we respond to harm? 
and when I've like facilitated workshops about abolition, like we always say to people, like, what, what do you want when you've experienced harm? Like if you've been at a party and got into an argument or someone's come onto you and you felt super unsafe or even, you know, you've got like jacked, like walking home, um, like mugged, sorry, it's like English, <laughs> English slang. Um, like, what do you need? And everyone's just like, oh, I want my friends around me or I want like a safe place to be and I want someone to talk to and I don't want it to happen again and yeah maybe I do want that person removed from the space from the area um and like reframing it and recentering it on the person that's like experienced harm is very like transformational because then it becomes less about like punishment right like all our kind of justice resources go on like punishing people and not on addressing why harm has happened like how can we like center survivors like in that harm if that makes sense mm -hmm. so yeah like with abolition there's like a whole kind of field of that which is all about like transformative justice and like how yeah like, like how can we address the conditions that have like led to that harm so and actually most people that do like kind of perpetrate harm are also very likely to have experienced it right like when I was in jail um I eventually like volunteered as part of this scheme called like the listener scheme which is like the Samaritans here and um you're basically trained to to kind of listen to to other prisoners um I actually think the scheme is like super screwed up now like but back back when I was in prison like it felt like kind of one of the only ways that I could like really support other people but you'd go and you'd get put in this like little listener suite and you'd basically like listen to suicidal women and like they would be talking to you about their feelings and unfortunately the team was really small so I was literally doing that kind of labor for like sometimes like 30 hours a week like it was completely bonkers listening to people like really going into their like stuff right and even people like we're not there to ask why anyone's in prison or what they've done or whatever but people would often and disclose that stuff and it's like even the person that you think is like the most horrifying person in the world right like this kind of pedophile or someone who's like abused children and you think oh my god how am I going to get through this call because I want to kill this person like they're just <laughs> horrifying to me and then they just like open up to you about like the like terror in their life and like the terror in their childhood and their physical or sexual abuse when they were a child and like and then the fact that the only person that's ever showed them any love is some abusive man that's like encouraging them to do certain acts and it's like I don't know it just like all falls into place right and you have you suddenly have this compassion of like yeah like your behavior is just an outcome of like everything you've ever been through and who am I to like judge you on that right um <clears throat> but anyway I'm kind of going off on one but what I think is like yeah like prison ultimately dehumanizes us so I feel like abolition is about humanizing people it's about listening to stories like challenging relationships challenging how society is structured and building those alternatives and um you know like abolition as a name has its like legacy right in like uh struggles to abolish the slave trade and like we haven't even talked about like that whole other aspect of the prison system which is prison yeah. labor um but when you like connect prison abolition back to those struggles and you see the like historical legacy and how it's like completely integral to maintaining a like 
stratified society, like a class-based society, a racist society, like you can kind of challenge like the individual cases of why people are in prison, right? Because you can see there's like bigger systemic patterns of like, oh, what was this form of sentencing? Like, who does this type of sentence target? And why are they in prison? And, you know, who brought in the three strikes rule? And why are people doing like 23 years for like possession of weed or whatever? So it's like, I feel like abolition is like having these critical worldviews about, you know, what functions does the prison system serve? And how is it maintaining itself? And yeah, what alternatives are there? As well as like, you know, not it's not just about the alternatives, it is about literally you know like trying to shut them down trying to to organize um i've got some friends in this incredible group called fight toxic prisons and they um they like support groups like the incarcerated workers organizing committee to organize with prisoners to support prisoner-led resistance and fight on the outside for those people and that's like super cool and something we've been trying to build in the uk as well um so yeah so i guess I mean, I could, again, I could just talk all day about abolition, but for me, it's like, it is this social struggle to abolish prisons, but it's also just this like incredible, like creative opportunity to like change everything about our lives. Right. Because prison is like this um, place where actually uh, this author called Carleen Faith, who wrote um, Unruly Woman, I think she's passed away now, unfortunately, but she wrote in one of her books that prison is the place where like all injustices converge and I feel like when we see prison like that it gives us this like point of leverage of like ah, how can we transform society right and like what is maintaining this like screwed up society that like we hate and yeah seeing abolition then as this like super creative like amazing act like for me like I remember an ex-partner actually saying to me like because I was annoyed about my job like I was like coordinating this like community food project and it was like I guess it was like less sexy and fun than doing all my like touring and like campaigning and stuff and he was just like yeah but like that is abolition like you creating this community garden and like teaching families in your area how to grow food and like look out for each other that is abolition the same way to me that herbalism is abolition because we're you know humanizing people again and we're supporting health and we're working for community health and we're working for ecological health and all of those things are completely opposite to everything that the prison industrial complex is trying to do so i feel like in that way herbalism is abolition right right um you know that's almost like abolition prison abolition isn't about abolishing taking responsibility for things that you've done that have been harmful it's about building compassion into all parts of our society. And that the reality of having millions of people incarcerated is like this kind of rotting core of not compassion, um, like the opposite of compassion. And, and that what we are trying to build is a society that has compassion for all people, which again, is not the same as anyone can do what they want with no responsibility, take responsibility for the harm that you do, but that that all things can be done with compassion. And so when you look at it that way, then every garden that you plant, every child that you teach about dandelion, every, any of those things becomes 
part of that greater movement of replacing a sort of punitive um, harm for harm society with a compassionate, responsible society. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Well, uh, perhaps you'd like to tell us a little bit more about um, about the book, The Prisoner's Herbal. And I know that your thoughts with this, or I understand that your, your intentions with the book go beyond uh, the idea of like, if you find yourself in prison, here's a, here's a book that can <laughs> teach you how to work with herbs in that, in that specific kind of context. Um, but you had, a, you had kind of some broader goals with this, yeah? Yeah. Um, but actually the first goal is just what you said of like, I want to, you know, like I've written all sorts of, uh, theoretical things about prison abolition and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, there is nothing nicer than, you know what it's like with herbalism, like someone's got period pains and then you give them a tea and like, ah, oh, my period pains have gone. And it's like, just that like instantaneous impact. I really, I really want this book to like actually super help people so that, they are struggling with something and then they can look up in the book and then they can try it and then they can have that like amazing life experience of the first time of being like, whoa, like I just used a plant and it's like really helped me. Um, so yeah, so that is the goal really is like actually supporting like friends and people I know and comrades and everyone else in the prison system um, to be able to like improve their lives by building relationships with plants like emotionally there's like a whole section in there about like like plant allies and like working with plants in that way um and yeah people addressing their health issues um and yeah i would really like it to inspire folks inside to like just connect with the land in general right because it's so rich and it's such a like powerful learning opportunity you know like i did um I dropped out of college or whatever when I was <clears throat> 17 after my first boyfriend went to prison and prison it was an opportunity for me to study and I did a distance learning course in um horticulture and permaculture design and that's just like spiraled into this like big livelihood and like vocation and yeah like I would really love it that people read this book and then they're just like ah I want to study and like ta-da there's this like program I can do um so yeah I want to inspire people in that way and you know also like so that people could potentially develop livelihoods right because you know when I got out of jail like, I was just like signing on for ages um because yeah no one wants to employ ex-prisoners um so yeah being able to find ways to support people to develop kind of livelihoods and, and do something that's like super meaningful. Like when you've just, you know, worked in a factory in prison or in a call center in prison or even in the gardens in prison, it's like so monotonous and you're not, you know that some corporation is just like profiting from you, right? And exploiting you. Like I literally got paid like nine pounds for a full working week. And it's super empowering to go from that to like, doing something for your livelihood that can like actually help people and isn't just like some tick boxing, you know, way to pay your rent or whatever. Um, but yeah, but I feel like the book is also for people on the outside because like you said, like it's so easy when you get into herbalism to just be like, Ooh, gear, you know, like I want all the tools and like, I want to make lotions and potions and, and that's like amazing. And I'm like super guilty of that. But <laughs> <laughs> it's also awesome to just like know how to like work with a plant when you've got like 
when you don't even have hot water right like how do you take that plant like how do you eat it like you know so I feel like the book can be super useful to people on the outside as well because it's like how to work with these 10 different plants in like super creative ways um yeah and also yeah like I guess like you mentioned having this new insight to prison by like helping edit the book I feel like like I'd really like to support the herbal community to like keep developing their political awareness of the prison system and um the kind of like you know the other things related to that right like anti-racist work and you know solidarity with migrants and like um disability justice issues and health justice issues like I feel like the book could be a bit of an entry for folks to like think more about those issues um yeah and there's also this index at the back for for people for prisoners to like contact different groups like it's very hard to get radical literature into prison sometimes so I'm hoping the book's like a sneaky mechanism of like having this little director at the back so a prisoner could be like oh I'm gonna write to like IWOC or the anarchist black cross and like that way they can like access more support and solidarity and like we can build those relationships like across the walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I imagine that um, a number of our podcast listeners are also going to be interested in uh, getting their hands on a copy of your book. So maybe we should talk about how that's possible. Yeah. Yeah. So like my, my website will have, the book for sale on it and it's being distributed by active distribution who are like an anarchist publisher here so they have contacts with different bookshops and networks and stuff around the world um but i am also i've made it into kind of like an ebook so people anywhere in the world can pay just three pounds only to download a copy it's 164 pages um and basically i'm trying to fundraise to get to be able to help prisoner support groups post the book into prison. So I thought if folks buy an ebook, that will literally cover the cost of sending one book to a prison yeah. because active distribution are like super sound and they are basically, we're just running it at print costs, right? Like no one's making any money. Like <laughs> if only we made money from herbal books, right? But like, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. like we're literally just running it at cost so that we can get like hundreds of copies, like thousands, hopefully one day into prisons. Um, so yeah, if anyone wants to support it right now, they can go to my website and, and like pay three pounds and get a copy of the book straight away. And for those just listening, uh, what's the URL there? Yeah, it's um, solidarityapothecary.org. Cool. And we'll have that in the show notes also. Um, so... Uh, you were talking about how hard it is to get a job after you've been incarcerated. And that's super, that's a huge issue. And um, I think that's that's part of the systemic oppression of it also, is that when you get out of prison, it's extremely hard to get a job. It's hard to find a place to live because people won't rent to you because you've been imprisoned. And... Um, so what ends up happening is that is recidivism is that people end up trying to make it and then they can't and something happens that lands them back in jail. And um, so that is one of the reasons that, that one of the many reasons that we feel it's so important for um, incarcerated people to have the ability to study herbalism because there's a lot that you can do to support yourself with these skills whether that is 
um, you know, studying all the way to become a clinical herbalist to support people in your community, or to be a person who makes herbal products and sells them at farmers markets, or to become a horticulturist, a person who's helping people to grow herb gardens and, even, and vegetable gardens too, any kind of gardens. Um, there are all these different skills that you can self-employ with when you're an herbalist. And sure, self-employment is hard. It does require some discipline, but it also is an opportunity for you to have a way to support yourself without having to depend on somebody else deciding to take a risk on a formerly incarcerated person. And, um, and, and it's a way that you can not just support yourself, but also become more entwined in your community. And that's another part of fighting recidivism is that if people have strong community ties and have strong community support, they're less likely to end up back in jail. So, um, so our program of herbalism for um, incarcerated students is, is really geared towards not just um, stuff to help them stay healthier in prison, but also really with an eye towards uh, when you get out, like how can you uh, make a life for yourself? And how can we make, like even with this terribly unjust justice system, how can we try to start to build the compassion into it that we wanna see until we can completely like totally overhaul it and make it into something that is what we'd like to see through the abolitionist movement. So the thing is that you might think because we have this online program and we're already set up for distance learning that it would be really easy to just extend that to um, incarcerated people. And that was definitely what I thought when we started this program um, because I grew up knowing that people in prison have libraries and that they can study and some of them become lawyers and they whatever. And so I just assumed that they had computers and that was very silly of me. Uh, so what we discovered was that in order for um, incarcerated people to take our program, we actually have to transcribe every single video and print it out on paper and then mail it to them and print out all the quizzes and because prisoners are only allowed to have things on paper and it can't even be bound. It has to be single sheets of paper. So that's what we do. And um, it's really fascinating to see um, how much care students take in their studies. Um, there's one because of course they can't type anything. They have to hand write all of their notes um, and anything that they send to us, they have to hand write it. And, you know, to, there's one student um, and he, he so carefully block prints everything so that it'll be easy for us to read. And it's, it's a silly little detail, I guess, but it's so clear that he's taking so much time to really learn this stuff. And it was interesting, it's interesting always to hear his creative ways of how he gets his hands on herbs and how he prepares them. Um, one of my favorites was that he was able to get some ground ginger from the kitchen and he was able to get a couple little packets of honey and he mixed them together to make a paste and and to have that be a way to consume ginger. And 
it was exciting to see how he was able to be creative about the resources that he had available to him. Can I just say one thing on that quickly? Yeah. That, yeah, like in the book as well, there's like also sections on how to use fruits and vegetables as well as spices. I couldn't buy any spices in, I was in a private prison the whole time, but in the state prisons, um, people can actually order some spices. So I've included that as a section. But yeah, like made me smile when you said about him being creative because like prison makes people like so creative like you're amazed what you can do with it like one dishcloth right like the different <laughs> things you'll see people do um and that like you know like I'm I'm always worried talking about prisons because it like really paints people as like these victims and like oh we're so oppressed and da, da, da. but it's like the people I met in prison are like the smartest most creative like bravest kindest people I've ever met right and I feel like they're actually the people we really want practicing herbalism because they're like <laughs> smart, right? And they've got life experience and they're like caring and on it. And I just think like, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it's such a shame that like so much kind of human potential is just like drained away in these like hell holes when all those people could be doing like other things, right? Like including practicing herbalism. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so the work that you're doing is, trying to turn that around and uh i feel really excited that your book is is ready to go i've only gotten to kind of peek at a little bit of it um because katya was handling a lot of the queries and editing and all of that that you had going through there but um it's just a it's a great idea it's a great project and i love that it's all tied in with the broader work that you and others are are doing on this including you guys, like I said, like earlier, like with the course, like it's so amazing to include something at the back of the book of like, here you go. Like if you want to study herbalism, then like write to these people because, you know, I don't know anywhere else that offers like free, free tuition, right. To imprison people. And obviously folks in prison, like don't tend to have much money. Okay. Mm. Maybe someone in for like some white collar crime or something might, but <laughs> the majority definitely won't. And so, yeah, like even like, sliding scale places like they're just it's just not enough like in jail you literally have nothing so to be able to access a school and access that support and for those teachers to be adapted to you to know that okay they might post you a huge bundle of lessons but they that post might just disappear right because it's prison we've had that happen so to know that like there's like a crew of you that are like you know have that solidarity that you're going to like make that effort to, to make it work. Like, I just think it's, I just think it's super great. And I'm so happy it's in the book that, yeah. And I know we're, we're going to talk about how we can logistically do that for folks in prison here. Yeah. I'm really excited to be able to expand that to the UK and I'm so excited. Um, like when we get our first UK incarcerated person, it's going to be like a whole party. Um, but, but, um, but that's, I, I think that, um, it's so important. And by the way, I know that we have listeners of the podcast who live in places that are not the U.S. and the U.K. And um, in order to expand this to other countries, what we need is somebody in a country who is able to print and post from the home country because we can't send stuff internationally to a different prison. There's so many different rules. But as long as there is a family member or a community member or some kind of a person who is willing to um, print out and mail the things in that country, if you are listening in some other country, we definitely can make it available there too. 
Um, I also wanted to note that even, I mean, it, it, when you talk about making things tuition free for incarcerated people, it's not even just about the fact that incarcerated people don't have money, but uh, incarcerated people, maybe they went to college for a while. Well, now they have student loan debt while they're in prison and they're having to manage that. And that's falling on the families. Um, and even the ability to call your family or email your family or any of that stuff, all of that is expensive and it falls on the families to pay for that. Um, so, or like if you are a person who has their period in prison, um, like even, even just the ability to get pads or tampons, that often falls on the family too because sometimes prisoners have to buy that themselves. And um, like it's not just automatically supplied um, so we, we not only didn't want to put, um, a situation where prisoners who don't have money aren't able to access it, but also we didn't want to further burden the families of incarcerated people, um, who are already bearing so much burden for the incarceration of their, of their family members and loved ones. Mm. Um, and I guess if you are a person listening to this and you have a loved one who is incarcerated, um, who you think would be interested in this, then obviously we'd love to get a copy of the book to them. But also you can feel free to write to us directly on behalf of your loved one um, or share our contact information with them so that, um, so that we can make material available to them too. Yeah. All right. Uh, well, Nicole, before we let you go, I wonder if there's anything else you'd like to you'd like to say or talk about. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess there's like one project that I'd really like to plug who I only found on Instagram. I'm kind of a, an Instagram newbie. Like I have no idea what I'm doing, but it's fine. <laughs> um, but it's a project called the Solitary Gardens. And they basically work with prisoners in solitary confinement and that prisoner, that person in prison gets to design a garden, which is the same size as their cell and wow. volunteers and stuff on the outside, like build that garden. And then they send photos and like updates about how it's going to the prisoner and the prisoner can be like, Oh, Hey, I want more of this here. And, um, yeah, like I mentioned, like I already knew like a few projects, like I knew of a few projects of people working in jail and like different programs, but like, when I came across them, like, I just, I just cried because I just think it's, like, the most beautiful project. And, yeah, I think it would be great. Um, I feel really bad, but I don't know their, their contact details. But they're called Solitary Gardens, if you, if you um, like, yes. and I'm sure you can find them. Um, but, yeah, I just, I just want to say, really, to Herbalist that, like, and again, for folks who who aren't just in the US or the UK, like if people want to translate the book for prisoners in their country, then Active Distribution are like super up for that always. Um, and yeah, definitely for listeners in the UK, like I, with the Solidarity Apothecary, like I distribute plant medicines for people on the outside as well. You know, like I've done prisoner support for 15 years. Like it's financially, emotionally, physically exhausting often. It's also amazing, right? Because you're, you're getting to know and you're, spending time with people you love but it isn't the easiest and so I make things like this delicious rose petal glycerite which I send to people 
um, and various teas for prison visits to like support your immune system while you're like maybe traveling up and down the country. So yeah, if there's anyone who doesn't already know me, right, and isn't part of my networks who would like support like that, then you're the reason why I grow plants, right? I want to support you. And yeah, so like definitely contact me. Um, yeah. But otherwise, just thank you so much again for like, again, all the support for the book and helping me promote it and stuff. Like, yeah, I'm excited. Is there a way that our listeners can support the Solidarity Apothecary Project? I mean, I think the best way really is just buying a copy of the ebook, sharing it on your networks. When you buy a copy, there's also an option to like put a donation in there. I know there's like a million things online that are asking for money. So it's, you know, super cool. Just put it where you want. But that money definitely will increase like the, the number of copies that we can post to prisoners and to be able to launch something like being able to print your course materials, for example, and post that into prisoners here. Like there's a lot of infrastructure, right? Involved in that stuff. So mm -hmm. it's super great to generate a surplus from sales that could go towards those like longer term projects. Yeah. Cool. Let's make this happen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Cool. Well, Nicole, thank you so much, not just for talking to us, but also for all of the work that you do. And I'm just so excited that we were able to find you and connect with you. And um, I'm so excited that you're a person in the world that we get to know. That's amazing. Oh, likewise. Cool. All right. all right. Well, thank you again. And um, I guess that's it. Yeah, we'll talk to you again soon. Okay, awesome. Take care. Thanks. Bye. Bye. All right. So thanks again to Nicole Rose for chatting with us. And uh, again, you'll be able to find links to Solidarity Apothecary, where you can get your own digital copy of The Prisoner's Herbal um, and also support the work that they're doing over there. And links to a number of the other organizations and good people that we mm -hmm. mentioned uh, in the podcast. Those will all be in the show notes. So make sure to check those out. Yes. Uh, so we have shout outs. We do. We do have shout outs this week. Yes. You, you guys, I'm really sorry. Um, it has been kind of a crazy two weeks as you might have noticed because we kind of skipped one week of the podcast there. Mm -hmm. Uh, we kind of hope nobody would notice, but it, um, it has really been, uh, un it's been a time. It's yeah. Un unusually busy. Um, so what that also means is that I think that there are some shout outs that I forgot to write down, but, uh, anytime that you guys say on Instagram or Facebook or YouTube or on the, um, iTunes reviews or any of the places that you appreciate the podcast, I get so happy anytime I see those, but I just, in the last week or so, I kind of forgot to then also write them down. So we do have a shout out to Hannelore in Asheville who's interested in the Clinical Herbalist program. And actually, if you are too, we are currently running early bird pricing for the Clinical Herbalist program. Yeah, if you sign up today, uh, I was just doing the math on this, but uh -huh. uh, you can get a 42% discount. So there's life, the universe, and everything. Uh, <laughs> guys, this is literally $1,100 off of the full price of the program. Um, yeah. So get in early and... Uh, and I mean that's pretty exciting. So the yeah. program, the program itself launches this winter, uh, and we'll be having video courses in this program about a whole range of cool stuff, including herb drug interactions, sitting with clients, doing the intake, getting the information, coming up with a plan, helping people stick to it. 
and also digging into some more complex kind of problems mm. like Lyme disease and dealing with cancer and um, coping with endocrine disorders and autoimmunity and all of that kind of kind of stuff that can seem kind of intimidating until we really break it down and yeah. and work through it and, and uh, show you our methods. So this course, this program does have prerequisites. Mm -hmm. um, so if you have already studied herbalism at another school, um, don't worry. We can send you out the same test that our students take at the end of the family and community herbalist programs, which are the prerequisites. And if you're comfortable with all the material, you're going to be good to go for clinical. So just shoot us an email at info at commonwealthherbs.com if you want to just check your prerequisites and uh, and then get yourself signed up. Yeah, that's what. All right, so one more shout-out we have here this week to Lindsay M., who left us a review on Apple Podcasts. Thank you. And uh, as we say most weeks, hey, everyone, <laughs> if you rate the podcast and leave a review for it, uh, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher or that other one that we're also on that I can never remember. All the ones that, yeah. Anywhere, wherever you found this podcast, <laughs> however you found it, if you can uh, rate us and leave us a review there, that helps other people find us and uh, makes a huge difference. And more herbs for more people is better. That's what. Yeah. Yeah. All right, so that's it for this week. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Holistic Herbalism Podcast. Until then, uh, enjoy some sunshine, go barefoot in the grass if you can, drink a lot of tea, and take care of each other. And don't forget to check out commonwealthherbs.com slash supporters, where you can become a supporter of this podcast. And um, that money goes to pay the expenses that it costs to make the podcast, but also to support our community programs like our Incarcerated Students Project. Um, so you could be directly supporting incarcerated students learning herbalism and developing the skills that they need to support themselves when they are released from prison. Um, so you can find that again at commonwealthherbs.com slash supporters. Okay, see you next week. Bye-bye. <laughs>